I'm going to read this morning from Matthew 13, verse 31 through 35. This is the 100th in a series of messages from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 13. And I want to read verse 31 through verse number 35. We come again this morning to the parables of our Lord as recorded by Matthew. Previously, we've looked at the parable of the sower and the seed, the different soils in which the seed was sown. Then we looked at the parable of the wheat and the tares. In the parable of the sower, we learned that though the Old Testament prophets declared that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, was coming, we learned from our Lord's parables that uh, many would reject the kingdom, the Lord, and His teaching that is shown in the different types of souls which represent the hearts of man. From the wheat and the tear parable, we learn that although there is coming a day when, as the Bible says, that the righteous are going to shine forth as the sun, although that day is coming, we know that while in this world we lived we live in a mixed world, a condition of both believers and unbelievers. And our Lord said, let them grow together until the harvest. That does not mean we are not to discipline and we are not to live righteously and that we are not to be concerned about those sinful things. But we are to let them grow together. The Lord of the harvest will take care of that in the time of harvest. This morning, I want us to look at two parables uh, I want to consider these two together because I think they show how the kingdom of heaven works in the world from the perspective of what we might see outwardly working and what we do not see inwardly working. And these two parables I'm about to read will teach us not to despise small beginnings in the things of the kingdom and to never underestimate the power, the power, the total impact of the kingdom of God as it works slowly and silently. Follow with me in Matthew 13, 31. Another parable put He forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. The parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. Again, a summary statement in verse 34 and 35, which we dealt with in the first message of the parables from Matthew 13. Jesus is speaking to the multitudes, and He used parables. He used the story that He pulled alongside of another story to speak to the multitudes. He did that in order that He might fulfill the 78th Psalm, in which it said that Jesus would speak in parables, and that is why he is doing this partially why He is speaking in parables. The other reason is to reveal and to conceal. But He spoke in parables in order to fulfill the prophecy that was given in the Old Testament by the psalmist and by the prophets concerning the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. We come this morning to these two parables, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. The two analogies are uh, kindly, uh, we're kindly familiar with that. We remember mustard seed when we think about the Lord's statement about having faith as the grain of mustard seed. 
And then we think about the word leaven from the writings of the Apostle Paul in which he talked about leaven, using it in a sinful capacity. It was also discussed in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus. But in these parables, our Lord takes the parable of the mustard seed, and significantly He uses this in relation to the size of it in comparison to what it can become. And then He will use leaven in its powerful properties, not in the sense of something sinful, but in the sense of the power that leaven has to work uh, on the inside, to work on the, in the invisible, and very powerfully to make things become what they are designed to become. Sometimes we find ourselves worrying about the way things are in the world and the way that things are even in the church and the difficult and the hard days that are certainly ahead. If you paid attention to the message on the parable of the wheat and tares, there are disturbing things there, things that we want to we remove from society, things we want to make better, and we're tempted to try to do that on our own. But Jesus, as I mentioned, said to leave those things alone. Maybe you look at the church and all you see are problems instead of the glorious future that Christ has promised for the church. Perhaps you're tempted in these days to pull back, to take a defensive position, to circle the wagons, if you will, and just hide out somewhere till Jesus returns. I have pastored people in my, uh, my four decades of pastoring. I've pastored some people who never, never saw anything but the bad side or the negative things involving the church. It doesn't matter what the church became. They, they never could see anything. They never could see anything but the few things about the church that they didn't approve of or that they thought needed changing. But in these days, as in every day, the church should be encouraged and the church should remember that there are promises in the Word of God related to the kingdom of God and related to the message of the gospel and the grace of God. Those things encourage us to know that Christ has promised, He has given us a future, and He has given us a hope. And that's what we're going to look at for a few moments this morning in relation to the kingdom of God. We don't ignore the spiritual condition. We don't deny the reality of the coldness of men's hearts toward the Lord. We do not try to minimize the significance of unfaithfulness or the power that unholy living has upon people's relationship to God. We don't deny any of that. But in the midst of all of that, we need to understand that appearances can be deceiving. You hardly ever, if ever, hear anything said in the secular world and oftentimes not even in the spiritual world about the success of the gospel or about the promise of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Appearances can be deceiving. As a matter of fact, much of our world operates on the premise of deceiving you or trying to convince you that things are not as they appear to be. It's not scriptural. But it's very close. When something looks too good to be true, it usually is. That's certainly not scriptural, but it's something worth remembering. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, what we see happening actually now is not all that we get. What is actually happening now, what we see happening, and what we think is supposed to be happening because Christ has said it would we can't just stop there. We've got to know that there is always more taking place than we ever imagined. Henry Blackaby, years ago, when he introduced to the Baptist churches uh, his study series on experiencing God, many of those men that I was familiar with and many of the preachers that I preached for rejected that study because they felt it wasn't spiritual. Of course, they rejected a lot of things that they decided was not spiritual, and I remember sitting here in the school of ministry and going through that, that study and, and uh, listening carefully as it was taught. And the one thing that I came away from that study with, after 21 weeks of that, I came away with a statement that, uh, that Brother Blackaby kept making over and over and over again. And some of you probably went through that years ago. He made that statement that God is always working. God is always at work. And he kept making that statement. But yet around that statement, he never put any evidence. He never said anything. You can tell by looking at this, or you can tell by feeling this, or you can tell by sensing this. 
Because the power of what he was saying is true without any sensation, without any visible evidence at times. Understand this, God is always working. And God is working in His kingdom. And people will come today in church assemblies like this, and they will leave, and they will decide, and they will determine in their own mind what God did or what God did not do based on what they saw or based on what they felt. That's a dangerous place to live because God is always working. God is always doing His mighty work. As a matter of fact, the greatest work that God ever did, He did in total silence and in darkness. And that was when His Son hung on Calvary and gave His life for our salvation. The light was out, the darkness was on on the earth, and God never said anything. There was silence there when our Savior atoned for our life. Here in the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. First of all, we see in verse 31 and 32 in the parable of the mustard seed, uh, Jesus is saying to His disciples, He's telling them about the progress of the kingdom. That the progress of the kingdom is going to be slow. It's going to be small. Appearances are going to be deceiving. Now remember, the disciples are coming to this from the prospect or or the outlook of the Old Testament prophecy. They had read those prophecies about the coming kingdom of God and about what that kingdom would do when it was here upon this earth. So they they looked for the kingdom. They looked for it now that John had preached and Jesus was preaching. They looked for it just to explode. Multitudes are following Jesus, but they're following Him for the miracles and the food. And the crowds are going to get smaller as they go toward the cross. And so the disciples are thinking that uh, the Lord's just going to come and, and the kingdom's just going to explode and billions of people's going to come. Gentiles are going to bow down to Jews. Israel's going to reign superior. And that's what they have in the back of their mind. But our Lord is telling them that's not the way the kingdom is coming. He's teaching them the true nature of God's kingdom. The true nature, as we've already seen it, is the Word's going to be preached and men are going to reject it. Some will receive, but many will reject it. The Word's going to be preached. The Word's going to be preached in a world where uh, there's both the mixture of believers and unbelievers. And as righteous people, sometimes we're tempted to fix that. But the Lord said, leave it alone. And here He is saying that the kingdom of, of heaven is like a sower who goes out in a field and he sows a small mustard seed, the smallest of all seed. He's going to sow that. It looks so small. It looks so insignificant. It looks so helpless and so powerless in this world but our Lord is telling in this parable that the kingdom of heaven is like that and that that little seed will grow and when it's grown it'll become a great herb and become a tree and it'll have branches strong enough for the birds of the air to come and lodge in it there are many preachers that I dearly respect and love who preaches this text as apostate Christianity but I do not see that in keeping with our Lord's parables Just because of the analogies of the birds and the branches, they they take things from other portions in God's Word. But in keeping with what our Lord is saying, is the kingdom of heaven is not going to come in like this the first time our Lord comes. It's not going to just come in and everybody come to it. It's going to start out small and it's going to start out very insignificant. Thank God one day the kingdom will triumph. One day our Lord will triumph. One day our Lord will reign. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But not yet, not now, not at this particular moment. That's what Jesus is telling His disciples. Like a mustard seed in a field, the kingdom of heaven will slowly progress. Now the mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds. And yet in this parable, Jesus said when it is grown, it will be the greatest among herds and becomes a tree. It is said, it has been historically documented that some mustard seed has grown to between 8 and 10 feet and become a tree. And birds could actually land and build their nest and lodge. That's what our Lord uses. The word that is used in our text is that they lodge. They come and lodge in this tree. They become a tree. The birds of the air come and lodge. The word lodge is a place where there is shelter, where there is a place of security. They come and they abide there. They lodge in that branch. Jesus said what is starting out very small as the message of the kingdom 
and a few disciples that are following me toward a crucifixion and a cross. He's saying that will eventually become what God planned it to become. Can you imagine how the disciples felt when they heard Jesus' words? They're looking around at themselves, and they're looking around at the few people that are there. The multitudes are going to get fewer and fewer, and they must have been thinking, how is this going to happen? Through us? Is this the way that you're going to do that? In Matthew 5, 14, our Lord said, Ye are the light of the world, a city on a hill which cannot be hidden. The growth of the kingdom of God cannot be hidden. It has left historical markers since the arrival of our Savior in Bethlehem. There are historical markers of the kingdom of God. It is not on the headline news. You won't hear about it in prime time. You won't hear about people in the world talking about it. As a matter of fact, they're rejoicing over what they perceive to be the demise of it. In other words, they're glad that they think it is diminishing, that the gospel no longer has the power that it has. Listen, the gospel is still the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believeth, everyone who believeth. It is still the power of God unto salvation, no matter what the world thinks about it. That little speck of seed, that little mustard seed in Jesus' hand had the potential once planted in the field to grow into a tree large enough and strong enough for the birds of the air to come and find security and find shelter and find hope and find a place to reside. So it is today with the kingdom of God, though it is uh, talked about and though it is defamed, and though it is blasphemed, and though it is ridiculed and mocked by the world, thank God, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. The growth of the kingdom cannot be hidden. The markers are there in history. Young people, they are there. You're in a culture which is challenging you not only of the reality of Christianity, but of the historicity of Christianity, of the actual history of it. They say it's fabricated and that it's been made up. It is not. If you study true history, thank God the the kingdom is there. The message of the gospel is there. And there are markers all along the way. It started small with a few ordinary men, but has made progress along the way. It went from a few men and actually nobody left at the cross, it went from there to 120 believers in an upper room. And when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, that 120 little group of that multiplied over 3,000, added to the church in one time. The number kept growing, and soon missionaries were sent out of that little group of people. And they went to the Gentile regions. And from there the gospel spread to Asia Minor. And then the gospel came to Philippi, Thessalonica. And it starts to spread. It actually, it actually soaked the Roman Empire, the gospel of Jesus Christ. If it's not doing the job, if this little mustard seed is not growing, uh, then why are we killing the apostle Paul? Why are we killing the apostles? Because they wanted it to stop. But it kept spreading and it kept spreading and it came to Europe where our predecessors heard the truth and many of them believed and then brought it to this country and the gospel message is still spreading yeah but preacher the tares are outnumbering the wheat I understand that that's what Jesus said would happen but hear me hear what Jesus is saying don't be deceived by appearances thank God there are believers there are people who have embraced the kingdom the message of the kingdom is still changing lives, changing nations, and changing people for the glory of God. Well, I'm not seeing anything where I'm living. Well, it's working whether you and I see it or whether we don't see it. Sometimes God allows us to get a little glimpse of it. Sometimes it's on a very small scale, but He is still working in His kingdom. Within two or three centuries of the early church, from the message of this Galilean carpenter, the very Son of God, the kingdom message had spread throughout the world. If you had, if you had told Pontius Pilate standing there in that trial, if you had looked at Pontius Pilate and said to him, if you allow this man to be crucified, 
If you allow Him to be crucified, within three centuries, His message is going to actually saturate the whole Roman Empire. He would have looked at you and said, You are crazier than my wife. You are insane. You have no clue what you are talking about. Pontius Pilate would not even be mentioned in history were his name not recorded in the Word of God. And our Lord's alive, seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and will soon return for His people. Mustard seed, the kingdom of heaven, is not going to explode like you think it is. It's going to come through the mustard seed. It's going to come like a mustard seed, small, insignificant, but makes progress and grows. And when it's grown, it provides protection, safety, and refuge. His point is this, in spite of great opposition, in spite of great opposition, represented by the soils in the, the three soils in the first parable, and by the opposition of the tares in the second parable, Jesus said the kingdom will start small, and it will spread in power and influence and become victorious. Could I remind you that when it comes to incarnation, our Savior begins small. Our Savior, who created the world, contracted Himself to the span of a virgin's womb. He came into this world a babe. He came into this world small. He came into this world as who many would consider insignificant. He came into this world hardly noticed, hardly noticed. Had it not been for, a she- for the shepherds and, and just a few of those who had studied the Scriptures from the Old Testament, He entered this world without being noticed by many. But thank God of His kingdom there shall be no end. And all of those from His birth unto every, the death of every man on the face of God's earth, every man will one day recognize that He is Sovereign Lord, King of Kings. He is Jesus Christ. Let me read a few passages of Scripture that hopefully will help us and encourage us when it often looks like nothing is happening in the work of the Lord. Isaiah 53 said, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up as a tender plant. Not a king with a crown on. He'll grow up as a tender plant. And as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form to comeliness. You look on him, you won't, see, you won't think this is the king of kings. And when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. He was despised and we esteemed Him not. More people in the 45 minutes that I'll be preaching this morning, more people will ride by this building than are in this building. And they'll ride by this building along with other church buildings and never give it a second glance. They will never look at it. As a matter of fact, they despise it for what it represents, what it stands for, and questions the sanity of those of us who have gathered behind its walls. I remind you the same thing was how our Lord was treated, despised and rejected. We should not be despised for any reason other than our identification with Jesus Christ. We should not be despised because we're arrogant or smart aleck or think we're better than people. No. The only reason the world should despise us is because of the Christ that we love, the Christ we embrace, and the Christ that we preach. And we look out and we say, everything's so small. It it looks like we're going backward instead of forward. Understand this from the authority of God's Word. The kingdom is here. And thank God the message of the cross and the gospel and the message of the kingdom will accomplish what God sent it forth to do. It will. The mustard seed. Verily, verily, Jesus said in John 12, 24, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Unless the seed is sown, it produces nothing. The Romans, the crowds, the people in general saw nothing in Jesus that was a threat to their empire and to their life. They laughed when Jesus died. Like the mustard seed, no one sees the kingdom for what it really is. But God, 1 Corinthians 1.27, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught things that are. And He done that so no flesh could glory in His presence. We are not, we are not, 
We are not building His kingdom. He is building His kingdom, and we're a, we're a, a part of that glorious work, and thanks be to God that He allows us to be a part of that glorious, glorious work. The mustard seed, small, insignificant, and yet out of it will come great things. Verse 33, the power of the kingdom is seen in the parable of the leaven. leaven. Another parable spake he unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leaven. While the mustard seed deals with the progress of the kingdom, it looks insignificant, and sometimes it looks like There's not going to be anything grow out of this that's going to really accomplish anything, and yet it does. And this leaven that works inside the dough, works inside the flour, it works in there silently, and it works in there invisibly. Now, as I mentioned, leaven is often used in Scripture as an image of sin because it has the potential of growth and multiplication. Our Lord used that same potential here, not in a negative sense, but in a positive sense. Because it grows and it multiplies. Jesus here is describing to His disciples that they can't always go on what they see on the surface. You have to know what's working underneath. Now if, we're gonna, if our Christian life and victory is going to be based on what we see on the outside, we're going to be miserable and we're going to be a pathetic bunch of people by the time our Lord returns. Our hope is in the Word of God. And our hope is in knowing what God said. When you share the gospel with somebody and they look at you, if they even look at you, if they even look up from their phone at you and make a comment or a mock you or laugh and walk away from you, don't assume, don't assume what you're thinking and what you're feeling. Don't let appearances deceive you. Don't assume that. They may actually have rejected the gospel. They may actually have rejected the message of Christ. They they may have actually said no to believing in Christ. But that doesn't mean that the Word of God and the power of God has ceased to work in their heart. We have to be careful about those things. Appearances are deceiving. I don't know about you, but I've knocked on doors that didn't open. I've knocked on doors that opened and closed before I had any, any chance to say anything. I've, op- I've, I've knocked on doors where they opened, listened to me, and then closed. I've op- knocked on doors and opened them where people listened to me. And then, you know, you go on. I've also knocked on doors where people opened it and closed it before they listened and had the glorious privilege years later to baptize that individual. And they were a part of the church because they later got saved. Jesus wants His disciples to understand this. Don't base everything on what you see on the surface. Know that there is growth going on, whether you see it or not, and there is power working underneath to bring to completion everything that our great God has started. Leaven, or yeast, some call it yeast, in this story, is taken by a woman, in verse number 33, and she hides it in measures of meal. It's a Interesting word there, the word hid. It's the Greek word, encrypto. You know it better as encrypt. If you've got any kind of technology today, computer or smartphone or tablet or anything, you know what encryption is. That's one thing where the younger generation has got something on the older generation. You know what encryption means. It means to to, uh, somehow conceal or incorporate a message in certain letters where it can't be picked up by anyone else. This woman takes this leaven, takes this yeast, and she hides that. She conceals that inside this large portion of flour, which could have been maybe up to 30 pounds or more of flour, just a small amount, because she knows when she puts that in there, that old dough, that that yeast, that's going to begin a process of fermentation, and it's going to multiply, and it's going to expand. And that's what's happening here. But sometimes we look, not at the Word, but at the pew next beside. That's beside. We don't look at the Word, but we look at this incident and that incident. Instead of looking at what's working. Rest assured, child of God, the power of God is working. 
The power of God is working where God wants it to work. It is working how God wants it to work. It'll work when God wants it to work. It'll grow. It'll multiply. It will produce a finished product that is the kingdom of heaven that will bring glory and honor unto Him forever and forever. That is the parable of the leaven. It is working. Jesus said to these disciples, The nature of my kingdom is like something mysteriously hidden. It's like something mysteriously working. It doesn't mean that we hide behind these walls and never share the gospel. It doesn't mean that we, that we are like a bunch of monks, that we uh, just hide out in a cave somewhere. That's not what he's talking about. But he's talking about with every message preached, with every gospel witness given, with every word shared, there is a power working in that word that will bring about the process and the completion of the kingdom of Almighty God. John 3, you remember Jesus speaking to Nicodemus about the kingdom of heaven. He said to him, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit of God. I could, and this is no pride, but I could, if I desired. I've been around it enough, been in it enough. I could take my son, and I could take a few singers, and I could arrange things right here to where you would think the wind was blowing when it really wasn't blowing. I can do that. I, I know. I've watched it done. I've seen it done. I know how crowds are manipulated. But that's not where the kingdom is. That's not where the gospel is. That's not where the truth is. Where's the truth? The truth is where you and I preach it, where you and I share it, where you and I give it to those we love and those who need Christ. And then we, on the promises of God, know this, that our small little insignificant mustard seed of witness or our small little insignificant gospel tract that's about that big or our, our small lesson or our, our small message that we preach, we know that the kingdom of God has the potential of working in that smallness to bring forth something to His glory and that inside of that is an unseen power that God works. Preacher, how do you... How do, how, do, how, do you, how do you describe that? I don't know how to describe that. We were talking, Brother Gary and I just mentioned this by illustration we were talking this morning. I don't know how an Ethiopian eunuch, I don't know how he travels. Now, he, he shouldn't have been there culturally, he shouldn't have been there racially, he shouldn't have been there economically, but he travels up there to Jerusalem for to worship, and nothing happened. Now, he's up there with the big boys, He's up there with the big quartets, if you will. He's up there where they know how to put on the show. But somewhere in that mix, in that process, the Word of God was declared. And this Ethiopian eunuch is traveling back home. It looks like nothing on the surface has happened. Everything significant is happening down there in the other city where Philip is having a great revival. But yet the Lord tells Philip to leave the significant, leave that which everybody can see and go across the desert, go south in the desert because there's something working inside. There's something unseen, something mysterious working in the heart of a man who is sitting in a chariot reading Isaiah the prophet. And when Philip starts walking and the chariot starts driving, it's not a coincidence. It's the Spirit of God. He comes right point blank with him and he's reading about where the Lamb of God was slaughtered for sin and thank God for saving grace and a baptism that followed. Don't the Appearances are deceiving. Yeah, but we don't hear nothing about it. Why didn't he go start a church? We don't hear about it. How do we know he really got... There you go again. Appearances are deceiving. I promise you, somewhere in heaven, there'll be somebody we'll meet who will, if we talk about how, I don't know how, how we'll do up there. We talk about our conversion down here. I don't think heaven will be less up there than it is down here. But there'll be somebody up there who was brought to Christ by somebody or heard the gospel from somebody who heard it from somebody else. And you can trace all that back. And it'll go back to that chariot, I promise you. And that chariot will go back to something that was sown and worked mysteriously. 
we all like to see when I witness, when you pray for your children, when you invite your neighbor to Christ, when you preach, when you teach, all of us want to see people respond and see people say, yes, be not weary in well-doing. Understand this, it's a working. It's a working. It's working. The leaven, the leaven, the wind blows where it listeth. That's not my job to make the wind blow. It's not my job to make the wind blow. Facing a world of hard hearts, facing a world of tears that we're tempted to want to uproot and facing fewer and fewer professing Christians who do little, if anything, but just come to church often leaves us with the feeling that nothing is working. But don't forget the words of our Lord. Thank God it's working. And don't forget what He's saying to His disciples here. He's saying to them, the kingdom of heaven is like this. You think it ought to be like this, but the kingdom of heaven is like this. Let me just mention a side note right here. Usually get in trouble with those. So I'll go ahead and declare myself in trouble before I miss it. There, there are some people who think that I'm opposed to revival meetings, that I'm opposed to Bible conferences, that I'm opposed to all these other gatherings, jubilees, camp meetings. They think I'm opposed to all of that. I'm not opposed to God's people meeting together for the exposition of the Word of God and the worship of God. In any situation, I'm not opposed to that at all. What I am opposed to is where that thing kindly got to. All of those things have kindly got to this point that it becomes the tail that wags the dog. It becomes the appearance. The appearance of it. You know from being in this church, and I know from being here, and in my former two pastorates, and in my home church, we all know that everyone who comes to Christ and says they're saved, we know that don't always pan out. We understand that. But I want to tell you, we're in a culture where it is hard for preachers and pastors to let the mysterious and to let the powerful work. Let it work. The best thing my father did for me, my earthly father did for me, was one Sunday morning I came home from church, walked back in the bedroom and told him that I was lost. I said, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not right, I'm lost. Something isn't, isn't right here. And dad left me alone. Dad left me alone, told me what I needed to know to be saved, and walked out and left me. That is not in Evangelism 101. Evangelism 101 is get them to raise the hand, get them, on their, get them to repeat this and repeat that and repeat that. Listen, the apple will fall off the tree when it is ready to fall off the tree. Yes, we should help people understand the truth about themselves and God, yes. But don't get discouraged because people aren't responding to you. They're not supposed to respond to you or your manipulation. They are to respond to truth. By the way, I believe God enough that when God works in a man's heart, there ain't nothing I can do to keep him from it anyway. God will do His work with me or in spite of me. What does He want these men to know? He wants these men to know the kingdom is coming, the kingdom is here, it will progress, it will flourish, and when it gets down to nobody but a bunch of AWOL disciples, the kingdom is still intact. Let the Word work mysteriously. Let it work slowly. Let it do its work. Thank God it will come to fruitation at God's timing. Be encouraged by that. Facing a world like that. Facing a world like that tempts us. Do you know, there's preachers today who will preach and they'll give a high-powered invitation. Have you noticed some of these guys now, when they give their invitations, they, they snap fingers. They, they do this. You, you, you. What is spiritual about snapping your fingers? You say, well, they're just pleading for men's souls. Really? Look, look, at the re look at the result. They're looking for everything on the outside. Our victory is what's going on on the inside. The inside. It's the work of the kingdom of God. We look, as I said last week, at our nation. If, if four or five things would happen in America that has absolutely nothing to do with God, the South would declare revival. The South would declare revival. Most Baptist churches would declare revival if we had our gun laws protected, 
that would be revival in our sight. If we could get rid of a couple sins, we would declare, how do you know, preacher? Because we've done it before. If we get our man elected, we've had revival. Look at the past history. That has nothing to do with the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Nothing to do with the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a field where a man sows and different soils respond to that seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a field where there are wheat and tares growing together and we want to get rid of the tares, but the Lord says, let them alone. I'm the Lord of the harvest. I'll take care of that. And the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It starts out small, but we're here in America. We're in a country of big things. We want big things, big things, big things. Big things is what we want. But the Lord said, my kingdom is small, and it progresses as I choose for it to progress. And the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. It's like leaven. The little part that you put in this is very insignificant. But the power that's in what you put in there, oh, it has the power to do great and mighty things. Great and mighty things. If you're a parent, don't tell me you haven't prayed with your child or help, tried to help them understand something and you walked away because they just didn't get it and you felt like, I'm missing something, I'm missing something here. But in your patience and your understanding of God, you left that in His hands. And God can do great things. Great and mighty things. Listen to this passage of Scripture. The message of the gospel, the message of the kingdom may look small this morning, church. And it may look insignificant. And we may not see the power working within. I've been around where I felt like I was seeing the outworking of the manifest power of God. I, I, I confess that. I've, I've been there. When that happens, if you go to the Word of God where that happened, people were always on their face, not their feet. Now I'm just telling you that's the way it is in Scripture. Always on their face. And although it may look insignificant to us this morning, there is a time coming when this is going to happen, listen to it from Revelation 19.1. And after these things, this is John speaking, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and honor and power in the Lord our God, for true and righteous are His judgments. For He hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, hath avenged the blood of His servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah! And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye His servants, and ye that fear Him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and His wife hath made herself ready. Revelation 19, 1-7. The disciples want that right here in Matthew 13. That, that's what they're wanting, right there. It's not going to happen right there. And a lot of it is not going to happen right here right now but hallelujah it's gonna happen it's gonna happen in the not too distant future for those listening to me this morning who are not saved come to christ come to christ repent of unbelief cry out for saving mercy confess your sinfulness your lostness confess his holiness to him ask him to forgive you and save you if you don't see how His sacrificial death and atonement on the cross, if you don't see how that is related to your sinfulness and holiness, come to Him and ask Him to show you that. To show you that. For those listening who are saved, rejoice that the gospel is working. I read a preacher this week who said, ain't, ain't much else working, and he's about right. But thank God the gospel's working. Slowly, progressively, Sometimes it comes in three thousands at once, like it did on Pentecost, but that's not the normal way it happens. Rejoice that the kingdom is here right now in the person of Jesus Christ, and it is coming literally in the person of the risen and reigning Christ.
Don't be discouraged over the seemingly slow progress of the kingdom. Do not be discouraged by the social media preachers who count hands raised, who count knees bowed, who count baptisms. Remember, religion gets excited over quick decision. Religion gets excited over instant responses. Religion gets excited over phenomenal spiritual surface growth. That's what makes YouTube. That's what's tweeted about. That's what ministers put on their Facebook accounts. That's what draws crowds. That's what raises salaries. That's what packs houses. The surface. The big numbers. Jesus said, My kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is like a mustard seed. And it's like leaven. Put the truth in there and watch it work. Philippians 2.13 for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. It is God. Church, it's His kingdom. It's His message. It's His salvation. And it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And one final word that I often read at the grave but this is not a grave. This is not a morgue. This is the church, the living organism. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. As a young preacher on Mondays, when I, in my first pastorate, I used to go sit down with a few preachers. And sometimes we'd have prayer, and sometimes we'd maybe eat lunch or have something. I, I'm, I'm not a big social person like that, so I didn't do a lot of that, but I did a few, a few of them. And I got discouraged in a heartbeat. Uh, Joe Jones over here, he had, he had 10 saved and baptized 10 that night. Or... He had 10 saved and baptized 15. I always wondered where he picked up other five. But, but anyway, I, they were just constantly growing. I was pastoring a group of widows, about 13, 14 widow ladies with two or three men. Had a piano player my age and her husband. No children. Needless to say, I didn't baptize 13. I didn't baptize 13 the first seven or eight years of my ministry. Our church is over in the south side of Statesville. You had to be careful walking over toward the piano because the floor was rotted. And you could go where man had never been before. You could go there. Underneath it was, the outside, underneath it was an outside baptistry where the wall was caved in because it had been used in so long. Be not weary in well-doing. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Your witness... You're praying for your lost neighbor. You're sharing. Don't be deceived by appearances. I don't ride by churches on my way here and if they've got a big parking lot say, that crowd's liberal. I don't do that because I don't know that. Just because a parking lot's full and another church here in town's got 400 more people than we got, that doesn't mean they're liberal and it doesn't mean they're not preaching the gospel. Just because they got a crowd. And just because there's only three people in the parking lot don't mean they're preaching the gospel either. That ain't what I'm saying. I'm saying don't let appearances deceive you. God is always working. Father, I thank you this morning for what you said to us out of your word about your kingdom. You said your kingdom... We need to think about your kingdom in relation to a tiny, uh, the tiniest of all seed. We need to think about it like that. That, Lord, it's so small and seemingly insignificant, but because that seed has a purpose and a life of its own given by the Creator, it will produce what you desired for it to produce and nothing else. And, Lord, the gospel and the message of your kingdom will produce kingdom children. Thank you for the power that works even when I don't feel it. 
Thank you for the power that's working when I don't see it. Thank you for the power that's working when I can't even sense it. Thank you, Lord, because I'm a man of feelings and senses. Sometimes, Lord, we can sense those things and we can, we can know that, that, Lord, things are happening. But help us to understand and put our faith in what you said and not what we feel or what we see. And Lord, you were not trying to deceive your disciples because the crowd was small. Lord, you were trying to help them to have faith in the words of the one that promised. So, Lord, you are the one that has promised. You've promised that West Lenore Baptist Church, those of us who are saved by grace, you have promised that one day we shall see you face to face. You've promised, Lord, that no matter what the numbers are here, and over the years they've been up and they've been down. Lord, that's not the issue. Lord, the issue is truth. And you've promised that those of us who believe it and embrace it by faith, those of us will shine, Lord, forth one day like the sun. And you will come as Lord of harvest and take care of it. And of your kingdom there will be no end. I pray as every believer leaves here today, Father, myself included, you'd remind us that it is God that's working in us. It is God that's working in us and that you will do exactly according to your will and your plan. Thank you for letting us be a part of your great kingdom. Lord, to think that you allow me to preach about it, to preach about your kingdom, that you allowed these people that stood here today in the choir and with open hymn books, you allowed us to sing about your kingdom. You allow us to pray for your kingdom. You allow us to give for the work of your kingdom. And then, Lord, now as we leave, you, you are allowing us and commissioning us and actually empowering us to go out and tell people about your kingdom. Lord, I'm humbled by that. There's a lot of things you could have made me a part of in this life, but, Lord, to be a part of you, I'm humbled and I'm grateful and I'm thankful. I thank you for this church with all of our imperfections, with all of our failures. I thank you for this church. This is your bride. We are your bride. We belong to you. We are alive. And we thank you for that. Help us to love you more as we sang about earlier. Lord, help us to be faithful witnesses of the truth of Jesus Christ. Again, I ask you to bless the teachers tonight and every student, every person to be on these grounds May everything said and done point them to the cross. And Lord, may the truth roll over these children like waves roll off an ocean. May truth roll into their souls. And may they see Christ for who He is in themselves, for the sinners they are. Do Your mighty work. And Lord, we look forward to the day when we will stand and see what John saw and say hallelujah, glory and honor and praise be to the Lamb of God forever and forever. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.